This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast, and today we are welcoming the first man ever to grace the podcast, Dr. Dan Singley. Now, you might wonder why I'm allowing a man to invade our space here talking about maternal mental health and women's mental health. But I wanted to bring Dan on to speak to dad's postpartum experience. This is something that I get asked about by women and and just in general all the time. Like, what about dads? Do dads go through postpartum depression or anxiety? What is their experience of this shift in identity from being this adult into fatherhood? And, And what do they go through? What's their experience? And there is no one more qualified in this space right now than Dr. Dan Singley to speak to these issues. Dr. Dan is a psychologist and the director of the Center for Men's Excellence, and he's been granted numerous awards from the American Psychological Association, and he's been a part of the Board of Postpartum Support International, and he's there offering all kinds of supports to dads, runs monthly groups there, and he's just really paving the way for dad's mental health. Can't wait for you guys to hear what we had to talk about today. Before we get into the interview, I do want to read the review of the week. This review comes from Sarah Donald, and it reads, Truth. I'm so happy to have found a podcast that speaks so many realities of motherhood. It isn't always easy, and this podcast explores those not-so-glamorous hard parts and makes you feel less alone. Thank you, Sarah, so much for your review, and it makes me so incredibly happy to know that by putting this podcast out there, you feel seen, you feel heard, and in having somebody understand your experience, you feel less alone. So thank you so much. On an aside, I will apologize ahead of time for the audio quality. It is a little, uh, there's a little bit of feedback or something on Dr. Dan's side when it comes to the quality of his microphone. And I just ask that you would look beyond the quality for this one episode to really take in the amazing insights that he has to offer. Again, I apologize. I try my best to control the circumstances when it comes to the sound. And this is one that we just could not work around. So without further ado, let's get to it. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt, accepting where we are in our journey, and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, and listen in on honest conversations. Please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. Dr. Dan, thank you so much for joining us today. And I have to admit, you are the first man to be on the podcast and enter this very sacred space with us. So thank you for being here. All right. What an honor. Thanks for uh, thanks for inviting me. 
Yeah. So you work with dads and dads in adjusting to fatherhood. And I'm so curious how you came to specialize in this field and working with dads in this way. Well, like so, like so much else, they say, you know, research is me search. And uh, it really goes back to when I was a dad. And um, when I was an intern out here in San Diego, um, I had a three-week-old little boy and was just kind of getting used to seeing how, you know, handling the curves of fatherhood was. And a psychologist here in town, who's now become uh, my, my mentor and very good friend, came to our intern class and talked about the psychology of men, masculinity, and work that he'd been doing in early fatherhood. And it blew my mind because even all throughout grad school, like throughout my whole PhD program, no one had talked about about the psychology of men at all. And there I was like a new dad with a professional talking about the psychology of new fatherhood. And I, you know, I was trying to get through internship and postdoc. And once I, once I had finished those up, I basically cold called him and said, Hey, I want to do this. And he said, okay, let's, let's get you started. And, and I ended up applying for a grant to start up a, a class for expectant dads. And at the time I was, I was working for a couple of different companies, startups. And just as I've moved through my career, I've gravitated more and more toward men's issues. And my, my, I started a program of research in 2007 that specifically focuses on men's psychosocial transitions to becoming fathers, you know, the dude to dad transition, basically. Um, Yeah. That's it. It's so interesting because I feel like when I ask this question, like I love to ask how people like where their passion came from. And it's interesting that there's always sort of this moment in their life that kind of speaks to them discovering it or a struggle within themselves that they have to learn to overcome. And I'm pretty open on the podcast with my experience with postpartum depression myself with my Mm -hmm. third boy. I had three boys in the span of like three and a half years and it was just, you know, madness. So it's interesting to hear people's stories and where this passion comes from. Because like you had said, I had been in the mental health field for almost 10 years and didn't even know that maternal mental health was really a specialty up until I started to do my own research, right? Yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah. It's kind of, unless you have lived experience, which you do a lot of times, we we don't get that much training in it. Yeah. Yeah. Like even professionals in the field, it's always like astounding to me. And one of the things that uh, I think I heard you on Dr. Cassidy's podcast talking about um, and and others experiences that I've spoken with, like with moms and dads is that, you know, dads will go with mom to support them in their like checkups and in their appointments and things. And, and moms, if moms even get asked how they're doing, which they don't always, right. but if they do, it's always focused on mom. And then it's always to the dad, like, you know, you're supporting the mom, right? Like, you know, like there's there's not always a check-in on mom's mental health, but we're getting much better with that. Mm-hmm. And then there certainly is like rarely ever a check-in about dad's mental health and how he is going through his shift in identity and adjustment to parenthood, right? Definitely. Yeah. So part of our hope today is to unpack dad's dad's part of the story in this and to really, um, 
you know, help provide some insights and some understanding to the massive identity shift and and what can come with that for dads as well, because dads can experience postpartum depression. And I think even um, acknowledging that is kind of mind-blowing for some people because it's just something that has not been discussed and talked about very much. <laughs> it is, it is. And I appreciate you um, making the point you did about the, the identity shift and that that shift, which can be, you know, sort of a tectonic one for some dads and certainly for moms as well, can be accompanied by a lot of depression or anxiety. And just saying, yeah, one in 10 dads gets gets postpartum depression, because I, I do a lot of, you know, presenting and training and speaking on the topic. There are regularly folks that will basically say, that's just not possible. The dad doesn't carry the baby. So that's something else. It's all wrong. I'm like, right. okay. But the research disagrees, but okay. <laughs> well, yeah, because I think that there's this myth that because dad isn't going through the hormone changes that the female body is going through in delivering baby, that they're not almost entitled to feel depressed or have mood issues because their body is not going through this overhaul, right? That the female's going through. But their body, whether, well, they are in a way going through all like the sleep depression and the, like my husband was up and he was being disturbed and he was right there with me doing all those things. His entire life changed in those moments as well in a different way than mine, but that's still valid, his experience, you know? So interestingly, there is now, there are now four different studies that have shown that in fact, around the birth of their babies, men do experience basically the same hormonal shifts that moms do in terms of the direction. So decrease in testosterone, increase in estradiol and vasopressin and so forth. It's just the magnitude of it is much less. So interesting. there's only, there's only one study so far that's actually directly linked. It's a sort of a cool longitudinal one that looks at, you know, testosterone, levels at this and that time as a predictor of the dads getting depression. So the link is there. It's just not as well understood as it is with moms. That's really interesting because yeah, like with moms, um, like we know that we deliver the baby and we go through breastfeeding. We know all those hormonal changes are there and there's like these visible sort of reminders of them. Right. But with dad, with dads, we haven't, we haven't known that. And there's just recently research emerging about it. So it's so interesting. And I'm always striving to understand more about the link between hormones and like reproductive hormones and mood and stuff. Cause there's like so much research coming out and I'm not by any means, you know, um, an expert and I'm not a reproductive psychiatrist, but I find it fascinating that there are these physiological things that happen kind of in correlation with these mood things and just trying to unpack it and understand it. It's so interesting. So, okay. Dads can get depressed. We're talking about it. They have the, the hormone changes maybe to a different, in a different like degree or whatever, Mm -hmm. but they've got the massive identity shift and adjustment that they're going through in becoming new parents. So what, can like what does postpartum depression look like in dads? Because I think that you know 
people might sort of disbelieve like, well, I don't really see it. Like he's not like weepy or he's not, you know, these sort of stereotypical ways we think about postpartum depression or depression in general. So how does it kind of show up with dads and and how is it different than moms? So sometimes he is. Sometimes dads and men will just get depression in the exact same way that we think about, you know, the sort of vegetative, not wanting to get out of bed, the super low mood, the emotional uh, uh, emotionality and crying and so forth. Um, However, in the literature, we talk about this idea of masked male depression or also male, male or major depressive disorder, male type. And it plays out a lot of times for new dads. So they'll get postpartum depression or even um, um, antenatal depression. And it looks more like agitated depression. It may look a lot Mm. more angry or irritated or frustrated. Um, Also tend to be very withdrawn socially. And importantly, withdrawn doesn't mean you're not around people. So you can be at work or near other people but still pretty, pretty shut down. And uh, there's also a tendency to use more substances, to drink more, to use drugs. But more broadly than that, I think of it as of getting really more into dopaminergic behaviors, if you will. Like, so playing video games, uh, risky sex, maybe jumping out of planes more often than naturally, you know, these sorts of things that give you a shot of cerebral joy juice. Um, and also a tendency to, to basically pull back a bit more. And, and men will often somaticize. So it's not okay to be depressed, but I can have muscle tension or a headache or, or stomach troubles like that. Hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting because, like, I think about the pressure that dads are under and how it's different than moms. Like my husband and I, for example, like this is my, my one example, you know, that I have because it's my experience um, talking about like from when I first got pregnant to like having the boys and stuff. It's like, okay, like now I have a family, like I have a family I have to take care of and I have to provide for them and I have to, you know, all these things. And so it's, it's interesting that, internally there's so many things that like my husband feels like he has to like rise to the occasion and do that I may not even be aware of sometimes like the pressure that he puts on himself um, to provide or to be the father XYZ you know that he expected he should be moms have all of these expectations for themselves what it looks like to be a good mom and these expectations that we set before stepping into motherhood at all. So often unrealistic expectations, because first of all, we set them without any real true understanding of what it is like to be in motherhood, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then we hold fastly to them once we get into motherhood thinking like, well, I should be living up to this ideal that I have. And we had zero facts and real data, like making <laughs> this expectation going into it. And I see the same with dads. Um, but like, more internally, they don't speak it as much, but they have these serious ideals and expectations for themselves. And it's often more about like, at least from what I understand, like providing and feeling a responsibility for the family and things like that. Um, I don't know what kind of pressures in your experience with men, which is a lot more than mine. I work with mostly women. Mm-hmm. What kind of pressures or things do they talk about um, in in terms of ideals for fatherhood? 
Well, I mean, you're right on with the whole tech provide thing. It's interesting. To me, this is where you sort of look at the impact of gender and sort of how gender roles in some ways have remained the same, but are also evolving. But that that sense of, okay, becoming a dad and and sort of um, prenatal daddy nesting. And it's oftentimes very much about, I've got to earn, I've got to buy stuff, I've got to build, I've got to paint, I've got to, you know, the, the way that protect and provide looks these days is different than, you know, when we were on the plains of the Serengeti starting to try to figure these things out. But the, the basic instinct, I think, is largely the same. And so you'll, these days, see dads trying to navigate, how do I, how can I be a really engaged, involved dad? Because sort of the expectations of fatherhood are very different, you know, 50 years ago and I'm not even in the, in the delivery room, I'm having a martini and a cigar and, you know, that trope. Whereas now dads are much more expected to be involved and to be present for, you know, like you said, for visits and the birth itself. And it's not just provide resources and, and keep the lights on. And I see, I see dads and just couples more broadly struggling with how do I, how do I enact the dad role? Like, how do I be a good dad these days where I do the providing and I do the protecting, but I'm also changing diapers and washing bottles and, and being emotionally engaged and available. And it's tricky because Mm -hmm. the current generation of dads, they don't really have much in the way of models for it. Yeah, it's interesting because like in terms of our own dynamic here at home, like my husband and I are very much equal. And like there were times when I would like I was breastfeeding and I would just be like totally exhausted and at my wits end with getting up with the babies and whatever. And he would be on feeding duty and he would get up in the nighttime go get the baby from the crib, bring him in, put him on my boob in Mm -hmm. bed, and then like get him up, burp him, take him back and put him in the crib. And like I didn't even have to get up and move, you know, like because we just um, like communicated and understood each other's needs. But then like then he's still getting up and he's going to work and he's providing for the family. And and there is a lot of pressure there. like, like on both parties, both moms and dads. But yeah. yeah, it is a new role, like you're saying, where there is a lot and and he wants to be engaged and uh-huh. he wants to be actively involved and he wants to have these emotional relationships with the kids. But then he also has this pressure to provide because I'm like home on maternity leave or whatever the situation is. And so – and he is, like you said, kind of carving the way there are, our parents weren't really – weren't really modeled that way. Like that wasn't really what, what our family dynamics were like when we were growing up. So it's an interesting time for dads, hundred percent. It's interesting. It, is. it certainly keeps me in enjoying the work that I do because, because the meaning of fatherhood and how we see it has evolved. One thing that I think is fairly consistent and it gets at the heart of some of what, so for me as a therapist that I'll, that I'll see with dads that come into my practice is, in general, we are socialized to think of the perinatal period, you know, from conception to a year or so postpartum, as basically mothering, right? Like when you yeah. when you stop at that, I mean, it's getting better these days. Like when you you'll see more like in the media about people that that they'll show fathers that are highly engaged, you know, with their kids and so forth. You don't see it really as much with babies. 
like the dominant stereotype out there is the, the dad sort of bumbling and doesn't know what he has going on or, uh, or is just absent, but you don't really yeah. see as much where the dad is competent and does it really well. Like with like, exactly like you're talking about with your husband got up in the middle of the night, knew exactly what to do. The two of y'all are a really solid partnership and you have it going on back and forth while you're starting to see more of that. It's just in the, in the collective consciousness, sometimes even just subconsciously, the idea is, yeah, the dads don't really know what they're doing. And when I see couples that are working together, when mom and dad or, or the partners will disagree, I get, you know, dual dad couples as well. It's kind of like the, well, if there's a female involved, in the partnership, then if dad's not defaulting, then a lot of times he'll just question himself. Like, well, do I know what I'm doing? That's, that's one dynamic I find really interesting. Yeah. And like mom's anxiety, like if mom is going through any kind of postpartum depression or anxiety and is uh, like unsure and struggling with like protective feelings of baby as it is, there may be a lot of like questioning of dad and, um, one thing that's actually coming to mind as I'm mentioning that is the statistics around how likely dad is to experience depression if mom went through postpartum. Mm-hmm. And isn't it like, what, what, do you know the percentage yeah, on the top of your head? It's 50, yeah. It's 50%. Yeah. Which is, yeah. which is a like, crazy high public mental health number. In fact, maternal depression, so the, the research is fairly heteronormative. So I'm using like mom, dad, male, female language or because that's the state of the research. Right. But when maternal depression, maternal postpartum depression is a stronger predictor of paternal postpartum depression than is the dad having a previous history of depression, which is, Interesting. A, which is an extraordinary thing when you think about it. And, and sometimes when I'm, when I'm talking on this, people will be like, well, aren't you just blaming the mom for the dad getting depressed? And absolutely not. Most of the time, the way that people understand this relationship is because the relationship between the couple is so central and so important to both of their mental health. When mom has a a lot of depression, dad naturally suffers as well. But thankfully it tends to go the other way. When one gets better, the other one does too. But yeah, 50%. Yeah. So when you, when I talk with providers a lot, it's like, Hey, they, like you're saying, they tend to work with the moms. And I tell them, look, if you're working with a depressed mom, there's a one in two chance that there's also another depressed partner. So, you know, factor them in. Mm, Yeah, that's really, like, insightful and important for providers to be considering, um, you know, having some sort of screening tools and just having those conversations with dad is so important. Like, again, with my own experience and and going through postpartum um, and and all the, the lethargy and all the stuff that comes with that. And luckily, I am, like, a practitioner and I was able to identify the signs and, you know, get treatment and do the things I needed to do to feel better relatively quickly. Um, but not everybody kind of knows and can navigate the symptoms um, that way. So seeing the added, um, even just responsibilities that my husband had to step into during that time when I was recovering, you know, like they're already going through, father's already going through this transition into fatherhood and moms are on the same boat. And then mom, you know, experiences some postpartum depression or anxiety or something along those lines. And then, 
you know, partners there to to step in and, and try and pick up the slack and, and fill the void. And then again, I'm sure other risk factors are um, how many other supports the the family has and things like that. But yeah, an enormous amount of pressure for for that partner. And you had said that um, we're talking about dads, but does this also apply to like adoptive partners or like same-sex same sex couples who didn't like carry the baby and stuff? Is, is that depression statistic the same? So this is where I don't know exactly. So I've, I always like to pride myself on going off the research and the data as much as possible. But what, I, what I've seen yeah. anecdotally in my own practice and among folks who I know is that it largely looks the same because the relationship dynamics at play are still the same. So even if it's, even if they're adoptive or they've, you know, taken a, a different fertility route, um, they're still a, a couple, they're still, you know, a pair. Yeah. And so if one of them really starts to suffer because of the importance of the relationship, it's, almost inevitable that the other one's going to suffer too, whether or not that rises to the level of depression or, you know, an anxiety disorder per se. Um, I don't know, but uh, I would yeah. think it looks yeah. largely the same. Yeah. I've been asked that before too, like about adopted parents or like same sex couples and the other partner who didn't carry the baby. And it's like, there's not a ton of research out there to really right. know, but at the end of the day, you as a couple are going through the biggest, you know, identity shift and transition that you'll probably ever face in your life aside from like adolescence, you know yeah, what I mean? Indeed. So inherently in that, there is a lot going on and you're each entitled to your own experience. And I actually released a post on my Instagram today that, you know, you don't have your experience like you don't have to compare and prove that your experience is worse than somebody else's right, right. in order to, you know, not, ha- be struggling. It's not a competition. Right. Like you are entitled to struggle. And I feel like with moms, they're like, but I carried the baby and I did all these things. And like, it's true. And you, you know, deserve recognition and acknowledgement for those things. Um, but that's not to say that dad doesn't also have his own experience and doesn't also suffer in his own way. And his his interpretation and his identity shift and the things that he's going through are equally valid. Um, and they don't have to, one doesn't have to be worse than the other. There, there is no competition, you know. Um, and just like if you're comparing to like another family, um, somebody may appear to have it worse than you or worse than this dad or worse than this mom. And that that's okay. Like you are still allowed to feel your experience and struggle and that's valid in itself aside from everybody else. Want to get smarter about your health, but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction. We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting. And there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. Listener Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. 
With the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others accessing quality information about their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Mealtime with kids can be stressful, but with Factors Delicious ready-to-eat meals, it can be a lot easier. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready-to-eat in just two minutes. No worrying about ingredients and nutrition, no prep, no mess, and no cooking while wrangling toddlers. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Factor can even be tailored to your schedule. Customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Take the stress out of meals with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use code momwell50 to get 50% off your first box. One of the most relentless mental loads is being the juggler of medical appointments. Researching doctors, reading reviews, making phone calls to book appointments, it's a lot of stress when you're already juggling so much invisible labor. That's what makes ZocDoc great for moms. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. ZocDoc has doctors of all specialties, including therapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists with verified patient reviews so you can make sure they check all your boxes. You can find mental health providers who offer in-person appointments, virtual consults, or both, whatever works for you. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. Sometimes you can even book same-day appointments. Make juggling appointments easier with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com slash momwell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash momwell. ZocDoc.com slash momwell. Okay, so we talked a little bit about the risk factors um, for dads experiencing postpartum. Can we just kind of more clearly outline those? Uh, one of the things you had said is is mom's um, experience with postpartum depression is a huge predictor or risk factor. Oh, yeah, and certainly a previous history of, uh, of depression. Talking, I think, more broadly, though, depression is gets the majority of the attention in the media. I just want to really quickly also say anxiety is yeah. so prevalent. So the, the that one in 10 statistic is just for postpartum depression. But when you look at anxiety, both antenatally and from a postpartum uh, period perspective, you get between four and 16 antenatally and then two to 18% of dads get an anxiety disorder, not just some stress, not just some anxiety, but generalized anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder, post-traumatic stress, acute stress. So yeah. when you look at 
at risk factors, I think it's really important to also be talking, not just that's why we, you know, we say PMADs, perinatal mood yeah. and anxiety, and the anxiety is so important. And, and so risk factors, of course, include if there's a history of, of depression or anxiety, certainly not getting sleep. So for clients that have, say, you know, that have had a history of bipolar disorder or uh, a thought disorder, getting regular sleep is, is essential to being able to manage their the state of the relationship, of course. Um, lower SES, not having access to, or socioeconomic supports, not, not necessarily even having the uh, ability to get in place some of what we know to be really helpful to manage the uh, transition also very, very important, including, you know, access to psychiatry, to psychotherapy, to supportive other people. And of course, isolation. If you find yourself super isolated, then it's a, it's a huge risk factor for developing um, uh, mental health difficulties in, in the perinatal period. So with dads for like postpartum anxiety in dads, does it manifest in like the very similar ways to moms, like hypervigilance over safety of baby um, maybe like checking or overanalyzing, over-researching, like how, how do dads sort of display this postpartum anxiety? I see the anxiety oftentimes playing out in a much more similar way as it does with moms, but, but back to the gender thing. So one of the, one of the dynamics that will oftentimes pop up around anxiety that you were alluding to before is gatekeeping. And, and, in, in the research literature, the, we call it maternal gatekeeping. However, both parents can engage in it. It's just most commonly what you'll see is this, is this dynamic in which you've got a couple and um, dad may be going about his parenting in a slightly different way than mom is. And if she's experiencing anxiety about it, the most natural thing that we do when we experience anxiety is avoidance. We try to, you know, you're afraid of spiders, you don't go where spiders are. If you're nervous about how the guy is handling the baby or not doing things right, you try to limit those interactions. And unfortunately, that can that can sort of spiral into this pattern in which he doesn't feel included, she, you know, he, he gets resentful of it, he doesn't get the opportunities to be as hands-on with the baby as much as he'd like. He starts to have lower sense of confidence, maybe a bit more anxiety at the same time she does too. And I've, I've seen so many couples that get into this dance. Um, but to your question, oftentimes how the anxiety itself will manifest does look very similar. There are a couple specific, well, one really uh, common way that I'm seeing anxiety play out for dads that, that really I don't hear much about is developing true post-traumatic stress related to the birth. And in some cases, it's not even a traumatic birth from a medical perspective. In some cases, it is, it is a completely uncomplicated, normal, natural birth. However, the dad's experience of terror and helplessness and that intense Fear about what might happen, his inability to control it. I've I've worked with a number of dads who experienced classic post-traumatic stress and did, A, didn't know it, but B, certainly didn't talk to anybody about it. 
And that's part of why I say, like, we've got to be looking at anxiety too, not just the depression. It's so common. Yeah. This is like absolutely blowing my mind right now <laughs> because I have never, and like, I'll be honest, I mostly work with, with women. I've never considered dad's birth experience, yeah. right? And and now that I'm like thinking in retrospect, I've talked with some some dads and some like families and stuff where like dads have said, there is no, like, I've never felt so powerless mm -hmm. and useless than in the delivery room with my wife yeah. or whatever, right? Because like she's in agony, she's in pain. I don't know how to help. And there's nothing I feel like I can do. And just these feelings of like helplessness and, you know, all of those things. And then I think about like real, like obviously birth, like trauma in general is subjective. But then I think about some of the really traumatic birth experiences that I've been told by women where like spouses have had to sign off on waiver forms when they're like being whisked away to surgery oh, yeah. and stuff. And like the terror that a dad must feel in that situation, right? Like mind blowing. And that there's like no follow up with dads about that. That's like insane to me. Oh, yeah. Believe me. <laughs> then, wow. And, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like a lot of times when you, as I do, when you're really focused on, I mean, not just the fathers, I think of myself as, you know, I, I see more of the dads, but I try to take a more sort of full family perspective where I'm, I'm kind of putting the father in the center, but, you know, his relationship, his experience with his baby, with his partner um, are really you know, very central parts of what he has going on. And, you know, it, it's just sort of a reverse perspective. Sometimes people are like, oh, yeah, the dad. <laughs> like, I'm curious for us to talk about some of the, like, protective factors and things that dad can do to help. Like, we talk about kind of, like, preventing or protecting ourselves from some of these experiences. And inevitably, we can't control things like traumatic birth. And often we can't control, um, like, PMADs and moms and and then therefore in dads. But we can do things to kind of bulk up our supports and, and protect ourselves, right? So what would be some of those protective factors and measures that we can we can try to help dads with? Well, some of them are just just baseline garden variety self-care, making sure you're getting appropriate as 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 much sleep as you can, like ideally try to string together a good like 4 or 5 hours of decent sleep if possible. Of course, looking after nutrition, not just going for the comfort food, but working to have Balance in what you're eating, uh, getting regular exercise. I mean, all of this, we all know how good exercise is for mental health in general. But one that I, I, I see neglected a lot with dads is the social support part of self-care. And so there's a, there's a tendency on the part of both moms and dads, immediately postpartum, like the whole world becomes about the baby and understandably so. It's just that then as you start moving through, both moms and dads need to have social support, like sources of support outside of just their relationship. And pretty commonly, I'll see moms that get very depressed or super anxious and really isolate themselves, and dads will do the same. But oftentimes, even in the absence of a, a mood or anxiety issue, 
dads and, and men in general will try to get almost all of their, their emotional intimacy or connection needs met by their partner. And no matter how great he or she is, no one person can do that. It's, it is a recipe for, for failure. And at a time like a huge transition and the, and the identity shift and all the logistical and operational changes happening around the household, it's a time when dads need to be proactive about getting more social support. And I've seen plenty of times when, like, when, when the, the partner's basically like, dude, go hang out, go play golf or go have coffee with your friend. And he just isn't, doesn't have his head yeah. there. And it's just hyper-focused on being home with the baby and so forth. So those aspects of self-care are really, really critical. And then beyond that, of course, keeping the relationship strong, if you have, you know, need, making sure that you go to, you know, talk to a therapist, get psychiatry as needed, peer support, all kinds of things. But to me, it starts with self-care. Yeah. And in terms of treatment for like significant, um, like postpartum or anxiety, uh, I know that moms are often referred to like reproductive psychiatrists if there's one accessible in their area or region or whatever. So dads, would it be looking like sitting down with their family doctor and, and asking for a referral to a psychiatrist? That's how, sorry, that's how the Canadian system works. I have no idea how the U.S. Yeah. system works. But yeah. yeah, it'd be simply like just requesting what? to see a psychiatrist to talk about their symptoms and how they're feeling. It's kind of all over the place, you know, still, certainly in the U.S., about 80% of psychiatric meds are prescribed by internists or, or you know, general practitioners, not by psychiatrists. Yeah. But it certainly, certainly if a mom or a dad in the perinatal period is, is experiencing pretty significant symptoms that, that aren't resolving from, you know, talking with someone via psychotherapy or, or getting, you know, more focused social support, I would encourage going straight to a psychiatrist. Of course, if it doesn't work in the Canadian system, I certainly understand. Um, but we also, one of the, one of the things, that, well, that I encourage is, so I'm a member of, of postpartum support international. As yeah. you know. So we, we have coordinators all over the place in a number of different countries, including Canada. And, um, I would certainly encourage anyone who's looking for resources to get on our website on postpartum.net and then find the coordinator who's closest to you. And then that person is going to be super plugged in on peer support resources, different groups that might be available, certainly the online um, uh, virtual meetings that we have, but, but also who are the therapists, who are the psychiatrists around that, uh, that are sensitive to perinatal. Yeah. And I know that they've got, um, resources such as like a call in like hotline and things like that. Are those also like accessible to dad as well? The PSI? Certainly. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. We've got, we've got call in, there's a, there's a, you know, text lines and I have to say, so again, I'm 45, so I'm, you know, a little old school on this front. But having, because some of the research that we do, I'm, I'm on the PSI board, actually. And so some of the research that we do to look at our services and QA, I've seen some of the transcripts from our, uh, from the texting yeah. and like the emotional connection yeah. that's happening between like our volunteers and the folks that are texting yeah. in. It's super clear, pretty heartwarming. But yeah, absolutely. Dads do as well. Um, I facilitate a monthly dads chat. Okay. So it's the first Monday of every uh, of every month, and all the information's there on you know, search on 
badge chat and PSI. Awesome. And it's just, it's just, it's just an anonymous phone call. Guys will call in. We had like 10 guys last time. They call in from all different parts of it's typically folks in the United States, although sometimes we'll get internationally. And sometimes the dads themselves are experiencing their own mental health difficulties and or their partners are. But it's a pretty rare forum in which fathers of young babies are able to sort of come together and just talk about the difficulties they're experiencing. It's, it's really lovely. Yeah. I've actually had comments um, on my Instagram page, which is like underscore happy as a mother on Instagram clearly geared towards mothers because that's sort of my focus. Uh, but I've had <laughs> sure. dads say like, you know, I really wish that there was support or information like this for dads, you know? And I'm just like, man, and, and that's why I can so appreciate and value the work that you're doing. And I reached out to you like, Dan, can you come and do this interview with me? Because even moms, like they so want to know how to support their partners and how to like it took my husband saying you know like maybe we should talk to someone like you don't really seem like yourself and him and I having that collaborative discussion for me to really take the steps I needed Mm -hmm. to take care of myself and for moms to have the information and and be able to support their partner in the same way and say you know like you're not really seeming like yourself these days like what's going on with you you know Um, one other sort of question that's been rattling around in my brain is that like dads, and and this is going to be a a sweeping generalization, so bear with me here, um, tend to not be as social, like social and like externalized things as much as moms sort of generally. Um, so Mm -hmm. like, let's say your partner isn't the most social to begin with. Right. And then you add the pressures of like adjustment to parenthood on top of that. How does a mom or like partner know if like when that's starting to become like withdrawn in sort of like a depressive way? Is it that they start to and like I'm just sort of talking this out with you so that like moms can really distinguish it in their minds. Um, Is it that they start to withdraw from their partner as well? And that's when they really start to know because like my husband, for example, like doesn't, he has like one or two close friends and they see each other like once every six months. It's just not his deal as much as it is mine to like get out and socialize, right? But like if he were to start to withdraw from me, for example, then that would be a very um, like abnormal behavior for him. And that would be a warning sign for me to pay attention to. So how can moms kind of distinguish what that isolation and withdrawal looks like in men who maybe aren't particularly very social? This is a great question. And it's not a super straightforward answer. Sort of like you're saying, one way it might play out would be that he starts to withdraw even from his, his primary relationship. Um, another, another would be, one of the ways that this will play out is because he's trying to get all of his support and intimacy needs met just by his partner, he'll start to express a lot of resentment. And a lot of times it's, it's confusing and he may not exactly understand why, but what he knows is he's feeling alone. He's feeling isolated. He's trying to get all those needs met by his partner and mm. she or he just isn't able to do that. And so, like you're saying, that externalizing, oftentimes when you talk to guys about, about their concerns or their issues and their interpersonal, the guy will describe it as if he's watching a movie. Like he'll tell you about all, all the things that are happening around him, but he tends not to be very good 
at understanding his part of the interaction. This is a very sort of external perspective, like basically, why don't you love me enough kind of thing? And I see this all the time and, and mm-hmm. a lot of times with mm-hmm. these. You can take the most introverted dad who just really, you know, his, his support needs are not about big groups and being the life of the party, but he still needs to have what I think of as, as a diversified social support network. Because if, particularly if the couple is having difficulty, and oftentimes this is counterintuitive, but in the couple's work that I do, I, I do a very thorough assessment of the other important relationships in their lives outside of romantic partners, outside of family, to see, do they have other relationships that they're showing up in? And basically practicing and giving and getting support, the kind of relationship hygiene that we usually think about in romantic couples, it also, when the dad is out there, it doesn't have to be some crazy, intense, you know, super emotional. It's just showing up and having that serve and return of the give and take of, you know, getting affirmation, having to you know, get even low level conflict and the confidence that goes along with that. But I'll very often see how when the dads do that in those other relationships, it feeds back into their relationship with their partner. So the dad himself feels better, but then the relationship tends to go well. But to your original question, how do the moms know it? So I like, I like to be concrete without being overly so, but generally speaking, the way that I look at it is this. If, mm-hmm. if the dad doesn't have like three or four people, doesn't matter if it's male or female, gender is kind of beside the point. But if the dad doesn't have other than family, other than romantic partner, three or four people that he's regularly in contact with, that he's able to have a combination of both indirect and direct discussion. So indirect is how's work? You know, I was surfing up day. Yeah, I went to a good game. So we're talking, you and I are talking about that thing over there. But direct is how are you? Like what's going on with you? And it doesn't have to be that all the time, but if that dad mm-hmm. doesn't have about three or four people, and it doesn't have to be in person, ideally it is, but you know, it could be Skyping, it could be you know, on the phone or whatever, then to my way of thinking, he's unlikely to really be getting his, his connection, his social support needs met. You brought up such an interesting point that I actually polled my audience on Instagram in my stories, um, like leading up to this interview, like what what do moms want to know, you know, and how they can support dads postpartum transition and stuff. And something that came up in a few comments was like, dad expressing jealousy over the baby becoming the priority to the mom. Oh, yeah. And like, that's what you're describing to me is that, you know, if that's that sole person, you know, where they're getting like all their eggs are in that basket and then mom becomes preoccupied with mothering, you know, especially a newborn who's extremely, you know, demanding and dependent and all of that. um, Dad's feeling a little bit kind of like misplaced or put off or, you know, undervalued or something like that. Well, and, and certainly when dads get depressed in the same way that moms experiencing postpartum depression oftentimes feel like I'm a terrible mom, um, I'm not attached to my baby, maybe I don't even like, I might hate my baby. Well, 
dads will experience something very similar. And, and sometimes it is mixed into this sense of I've lost my partner to my baby and I don't feel really connected to or attached to that baby. And it's, it's so isolating and scary. And there's such a stigma against anyone, against moms or dads feeling that way. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. I mean, we're therapists. And so we hear this a lot, but if you're just right. kind of a random Joe walking around and if some mom were to say like, you know what? Yeah, I think about killing myself a lot and I really hate my baby and wish I didn't have it. Like that's going to freak your average person out. <laughs> right, right. Coming from a mom, certainly. But it sounds that much more different and shocking when it comes from a dad. And I think that like dad may not even come out with those I feel words. It may come yeah. out in like be, like jealous behavior towards, you know, partner or something like that, right? And I mean, with moms, it comes out in behavior too. But like dad is less likely to say, I feel this way because, you know, fill in the oh, blanks. Yeah. Because it's just, for one, they're not conditioned to talk that way in society. And two, it could just be really hard for them. So it might come out more in like, you know, you never have time for me. We're not having any sex ever and those types of things, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And and sex postpartum is a whole conversation for a whole other day. I'm it actually is. going to uh, be doing some interviews about that from like a sex therapy perspective. But like, I know that that's an important piece for dads and for couple in general to figure out is like how to find time for intimacy postpartum. And maybe that's a part of what makes dads jealous is like even their physical needs and that, that emotional and physical intimacy takes a massive blow postpartum as well. And that's something that like, not everyone before you become a parent really realizes that your that your whole relationship and like patterns of relating and being with each other is going to go through such a massive shift, right? Oh, it's such a I'm actually doing a, a panel talk about fathers and perinatal sex, particular postpartum sex. There's a whole conference on it in January here in in, uh, in LA. So I'm thrilled that it's getting that much attention. Um. Another, and this is even a little bit more specialized, but the impact on physical intimacy broadly, but certainly sex, when there are fertility issues, this is an issue that I see oh, coming up yeah. more and more. And the, and the, like that, you know, sort of, it's different if it's, you know, wh where does the fertility issue lie with him, with her, maybe potentially with both of them and then what does sex become and it's just this you know vehicle to do this and, and, and just get the baby and then oftentimes those concerns will persist after the baby's there yeah there's it's such a rich topic like you said there's so much to it it's there's so, so much yeah like i'm going to be doing an episode about like um like adjusting through that postpartum but i would love to have you back and we can talk about this uh at a later date like to talk about dad's perspective, because I think that like I could bring mom's perspective to the table in terms of, 
you know, the mental load and, and often mm-hmm. what arousal looks like for women and how that plays out postpartum. And then bringing like dad's perspective, having worked with so many men who I'm sure struggled to go through this transition, what that looks like for them and how we can kind of understand and get on the same page with one another. Because I think that's such a, like you said, rich, deep topic that if not kind of dealt with sensitively and if couples can't, can't, talk it through and communicate and get on the same page can have lasting impacts on on a relationship over time if it doesn't get kind of talked through and resolved i guess i'd be happy to dr dan thank you so much for joining us today Uh, this is such an interesting topic i've learned so much from you and i value and appreciate your perspective and the work that you are doing And yeah, if people want to find you, where are you hanging out online and what are you up to? Do you have any resources? I believe you also are like trying to solve the socialization problem for dad. You've got some projects that you're working on. Is that right? I do. So just my, my website is uh, menexcel.com and I'm uh, on the social media on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. It's at menexcel. And yeah, I have been working on still sort of beta testing. It's a, it's a website that's a social media platform that's just dads only. It's called Padre Cadre. So if you go to PadreCadre.com, you can uh, direct some dads to it. And, and as I said before, I definitely encourage folks to uh, send, your, uh, send your fellas to the dads chat that I do through Postpartum Support International. It's, it's a really nice way to get some, some live interaction with other dads who can connect. I love that. I love that. And I will put all of this information in the show notes, which the link for the show notes lives in the podcast description in whatever podcasting app you are listening to. And again, Dr. Dan, thank you. I really value and appreciate the work that you're doing. And thank you for showing up in the world the way that you do. It's, uh, it's amazing work you're doing. Thank you so much for having me on. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources and things that were discussed in today's show, you can find them in the show notes, which is linked in the episode description, or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast and find all of the show notes there. If you're looking for support and connection with other moms, you can head over to facebook.com slash groups slash happy as a mother and join our Facebook community. This community is filled with women just like you and I who want to support and uplift one another through our postpartum journey. And until next episode, mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing a great job. Settling is not an option for Everything me. I desire is already mine. What if you can have it all? <laughs> because every day is for the girls. Hello, hello. Welcome to For the Girls podcast, hosted by Victoria Alario, For the Girls Who Want More. Listening to For the Girls will have you ready to raise the bar, stop settling for the bare minimum, and start believing you can have it all and step into the 2.0 version of you. You can catch a new episode of For the Girls every Monday across all podcast platforms. Until next time, girls.